bowling alleys are really loud places. <laughs> and I never recognized how loud they were until silence fell all around me in one. This is how it happened. A number of years ago, <clears throat> at least more than a decade ago, I was with some friends of friends in a social environment. Didn't know the immediate people I was with all that well, but I knew them enough to know that I generally enjoyed their company. We were talking about sports and politics and music and the kind of stuff I tend to talk about with the people that I socialize with. Until one of the guys that I was with tried to get the attention of another guy and quoted a joke from a movie that was popular at the time that was homophobic. He shouted it out, and all the other guys around me laughed. I had a choice point moment where I had to decide, was I going to say something or not? And I did. And literally, just like bringing up this story right now, I can feel the anxiety in my body. And I said, what would blank, the person we mutually knew, who's gay, what would blank feel about what you just said? And this is how the silence descended like a lead balloon in the middle of the bowling alley. I don't know what was in that silence. And the truth is, because these aren't people that are still in my life, maybe because of that moment, but I don't really think so. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what I did. Did. I don't know what the ultimate outcome was. Maybe they walked away pissed off at me. Social justice warrior, blah, 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 blah. mutter, mutter, mutter. Or maybe they were given cause for pause. Or maybe, I don't know, the way my mind works, if it's anything at all like other people's minds, I could have spun out all kinds of stories about what the effects were of what I said. Maybe they went on to change behavior. I wanted to open with that story today. Because in this series, me and you, us and them, we're talking about the connections and also sometimes the conflicts between us as individuals and between communities. Here's what I don't think about what happened there. That I was wrong for saying something. I've spent a lot of my life although less in the last five or ten years, running away from wherever conflict was. <laughs> Family, relationships, communities, I have wanted to avoid conflict at all costs. And you know what that has gotten me? More conflict. <laughs> and so, in that moment, I decided, you know what? I wanted to speak from what my actual convictions were. When I go back to that moment, I don't think my speaking up was in any way wrong. That's not what I'm questioning. This is the question I now have for myself. Was speaking up skillful? Did it actually 
help anything? Did it just separate us? And they walked away annoyed, and I walked away questioning myself. Again, what I don't think is a legitimate response, at least for me in those situations, is just kind of sit on the hands of my privilege. To not want to rock the boat and say nothing. Like I said, I've spent too much of my life avoiding conflict already. What I've come to know about privilege as a person who possesses an awful lot of it is that privilege is like a passport. It gets you access. (laughs) And those moments, and I've been around many of them in my life, when someone tells a joke that is intended to define who's the us and who's the them, Far too often, I've just gone along and gotten my passport stamped, gaining access. The truth is, I think that happens with many of us. We go along because we want to belong. No one likes feeling, at least no one I know, likes feeling cast out as a them. It can hurt. It can feel uncomfortable. And I am aware of the many times that I have allowed my passport, my ticket to be stamped, that I now look back with some guilt. Race, class, gender, sexuality, the times when I went with the flow, when I should have been swimming against the current. That's an honest assessment of myself. I believe any change starts with honest assessment. There are two ways in which I actually don't have a lot of privilege. One is that I grew up a Jewish person. I didn't experience a ton of direct anti-Semitism, but I experienced an awful lot of people, especially in kind of the religious circles that I've tended to travel in since my early 20s, especially when they have been largely populated by Christian folks, just kind of assuming that Christianity is the norm. I kind of say, okay, folks, there's like other choices here. But there's something actually in my life current right now in which I am regularly reminded That actually I am not a person of privilege. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And one of the things that means for me is I get to step back. And I get to see how my drug of choice, alcohol, is so thoroughly normalized in this society. How even in the midst of an opioid epidemic that is killing tens of thousands of people a year, you know what still tops them all as the killer? Alcohol. How we just normalize it. So that's part of it. I get to step back and say, hmm, I'm a little different here. There's another way, however. And that when someone will say something like, let me think of something innocent here. So I'm not like singling anyone out. Let me think of something really innocent. It's sweater weather. I am addicted to warm, fuzzy sweaters. And people say things like this all the time. I'm addicted to fill in the blank. And I want to say, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Really, your your connection with warm, fuzzy sweaters have, have, have distanced you from the people you care about? Your connection, your need for warm, fuzzy sweaters have have caused you to do things that you are deeply ashamed of? Warm, fuzzy sweaters have put you in life situations where you have harmed other people and yourself? 
And I have said at times, unless those things have happened or something like them, that is not your word to use. That's my word. I get to use that. But the truth is, those are just a couple parts of my life in which I don't have that much privilege. Most often, it's been the opposite way. Some of you know who this is. It's Jason Isbell and the 400 unit, my favorite musical acts. Jason Isbell has done an awful lot of waking up himself in terms of his own personal recovery and in terms of his understanding of who he is as a white southern man. In his most recent album, he has a song called White Man's World. In it, he kind of interrogates himself. One of his lines really sticks with me. He says, I'm a white man looking in a black man's eyes, wishing that I'd never been one of the guys who pretended not to hear another white man's joke. Way to put your finger on it, Jason, (laughs) from my experience. Part of, I believe, spiritual waking up includes those moments in our lives, I know it's true for me, in which we have to face the silence of complicity. That's a struggle, and I don't find it to be easy, but I do find it to be necessary. I think it is a core part of our spiritual lives, especially in this Unitarian, and I'm underlying the second word here, universalist tradition, which preaches this wide, 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 all-encompassing love. And it asks something of us. It asks something of me. I look back at the... um, parts of various traditions that ask us to interrogate ourselves. Is our love too narrow? Like there are some really challenging teachings in Buddhism and Christianity, for example. You know, Buddha, as part of his uh, waking up process, he had a name for his son. His son, who he loved. He named him Fetter, as in something that held him back. I thought Buddhism was all about love. What's this? Jesus said, if you want to be one of my disciples, you have to hate your mother and your father. Now, on one level, these teachings are awful. (laughs) Let's just get that straight, right? Awful, inhumane, and even a little bit perverse. Naming a beloved child as something that holds you back. Telling people they have to hate their parents. That's a bridge too far. But on a whole other level, these kinds of teachings, I think, are really valuable. Because they draw into a sharp relief, a conflict, between the very human tendency to define love by only the people we are already connected with. And the urge, which I think is part of everyone's heart at the same time to expand, and to grow our hearts. To ask the question, whose are we really? To whom do we belong? Is it just family, tribe, the easy identifications with the people that we're obviously like? Or is there some sense of belonging beyond the me, the mine, and the us? One of my favorite short stories is about this. You know uh, Ursula K. Le Guin? She died not just too long ago. She wrote a book called uh, The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelas. 
And I think like Shirley Jackson's The Lottery, it is one of my two most favorite short stories because it packs a wallop in like ten pages. Omelos is this place, this fictional world in which just about everything has everyone they want. It's as close to utopia as possible. Except when children come of age in Omelos, they are told the secret of this society. They are told that there is one child who exists in a dungeon-like jail who spends their entire life there. And his suffering is what purchases, what stamps the ticket of the privileges of everyone else in Omelas. And most citizens in Omelas hear this and they are upset. And then they go on about enjoying their lives. And then there are those, and that's the title of the story, those who choose to walk away. Those who choose to recognize their discomfort and the qualities of their conscience. I mean, that's a science fiction-y short story. But like all good science fiction, it points its way back to our own world and asks us some tough questions that are not easily solved. When I think of tough questions that are not easily solved, this is one of my favorites. I'm not going to read you the Hebrew because it would take me a good ten minutes to remember how to read Hebrew. If I am not for myself, who will be for me? But when I am only for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? Attributed to Rabbi Hillel. Thank you for clearing that up, Rabbi Hillel. Thank you for making the answers easy for us. Thank you for making it all clear. Thank you for making it all work out. There is no answer there. I think it's only an invitation to sit with these tensions. This valuable reminder that especially in a universalist tradition, asking ourselves these questions, are we loving as widely as we can? Kind of fearless moral inventory. And that brings me back to my friends of friends and how I started this message. I am not a Dr. Phil fan. I don't like that question. Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? I rephrase it for myself a little bit. Do you want to be right or do I want to be skillful? Because I'm just like everyone else. I have an ego. I like those moments when I can go in for the kill. (laughs) I like those moments when I get that little hit of ego self-righteousness. And that's something I have to honestly wrestle with after all these years. Was I doing that then? Did I create a bridge of connection with those guys? Or did I just prove myself right but not skillful, and end the relationship. I honestly don't know. I do know that that sits with me. There's all kinds of ways, especially in a social media era, to perform virtue, right? (laughs) To convey that we got it, and that, you know, we're woke, which I most definitely am not. I know those times when I want to say I am most woke is when I am the least woke. There fortunately are some really good teachers 
that point the way towards standing in these tensions and in these tough places. This is one of them. This is Loretta Ross. She has been an activist on the front line for black lives and specifically for black women's lives and the right to bodily integrity for decades. Recently, she wrote an article that really got to me. She called it canceling cancel culture. (laughs) Cancel culture, just to give you kind of a brief overview if you're not familiar with that phrase, is when we stand in that place of judgment over someone who has transgressed a boundary of fairness, justice, compassion, inclusion. And what happens is we cast them out. (laughs) This is what Loretta talks about. She has no desire to go back to the days before Me Too or back to the days before Black Lives Matter. It's not about avoiding discomfort. She says, however, that there is a whole bunch of difference between calling out and calling in. She points and puts her finger on something that I think is so important. I don't know anyone who has ever learned or grown by being shamed. That's what I'm most uncomfortable with, with what I did years ago. I could have been more skillful while still being brave and speaking up. When we call in, we don't deny that harm has been done. We don't deny that fairness, justice, decency, inclusion are incredibly important values and deserve to be lifted up. And when we call in, I believe we are also being faithful to this universalist tradition, which says we are all fallible and we are also all capable of growth. We are living in that tension between justice and mercy, not trying to shame, but trying to call ourselves to something better. I mentioned earlier that I grew up Jewish, and part of that Jewish tradition that stays with me is this part of the year that we are in. I intentionally kind of wanted to be a little bit confessional today. I hope that's all right with you, because this is that time between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the high holy days, in which forgiveness and fearless moral inventory and atonement and repentance are an invitation Most importantly, because one of the worst things about being a human being, right, is repeating the same old, same old, same old, same old, same old, and then wondering why we are unhappy or we live in a world that is so far from what we hope it could be. This is what I love around this time of the year because it is challenging. I said I have fleed from conflict. I don't want to do that anymore. Most importantly, I don't want to flee from conflict with myself. And so dropped into the middle of this week is an image that has become a kind of national Rorschach test. Brant John, surviving brother of Botham John, killed in cold blood in his own home by Amber Geiger, a white Dallas police officer, 
this is from, as many of you might know, the sentencing hearing where Amber had just about just gotten 10 years well below. And there was outrage and justifiable outrage that she only got 10 years for murder, not manslaughter, murder. And so there are many people this past week, and I think they are so right on. Who, when Brant John said he forgives Amber Geiger, still recognizing how powerful that could be for Brant John, still said, whoa, 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 hold on here. Especially if we're white. White Americans love stories of superheroic spiritual black people. Over and over again we see it. And actually, I think that is a way of dehumanizing black folks, that expecting them to do work that me as a white person couldn't do. I think it lets us off the hook. That Botham John is dead. That white supremacy is a fact. I don't mean to question the role that forgiveness plays for Brent John. If this is where his faith calls him, then that is so powerful. But that is a choice for him. Here's what I really wish about this moment is that none of us had ever seen this. <laughs> that it wasn't captured on video. Because I think it provides an emotional resolution and an emotional catharsis. And I don't think that is skillful. I am so deeply sentimental. <laughs> I love the big image. I love the emotional catharsis. I love the thing that says, okay, it's all resolved. You know, that quote about it's not the end, it's not a happy ending, and I always screw that one up, but it's like, oh, a happy ending here. No. <laughs> and it reminds me that in this day coming up on Wednesday of Yom Kippur, it is not just the day of forgiveness. It's a day of atonement, repentance. It is a day that harkens back to our universalist tradition. A call for wholeness and healing for all of us. And the truth is, I'm not so much interested in what this story tells us about right now. I am interested on who and in who Amber Geiger might be a decade from now. Or 20 years from now. Will she live into a new form of life? I don't know. Will there be true repentance? On that, the jury is still out. I don't think there is an emotionally satisfying answer right here and right now. That decision to push back and to live into the tensions between us and them, you and me, Mercy and justice. I don't know how to square that circle. I do know that keeping the heart open through those tensions can be really powerful, perhaps even transformative, where both accountability and forgiveness can live. And so as I bring this message to a close, I don't want to get too meta, but I will. I like to bring messages to a close with an emotionally satisfying conclusion. 
but I can't today. It would be breaking faith. I'm sorry. All I can ask is that you join me in the place of irresolution and embracing tension. I want to close with this image from my favorite band. You probably, if you've been here for a while, are sick of me talking about the mountain goats, but I'll continue to. This is our album called We Shall All Be Healed. This is the next series of ink I will put on my body because it's an aspiration. We shall all be healed. We, all of us, shall. Not here, not yet. On whose time, God's time, our time. But to hold that aspiration for a universal healing that includes all of us. All of us. I believe it is the most powerful work we can do. Even as uncomfortable as it is. Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you join me in prayer? Spirit dwelling in us and among us calls us to that larger love. When we are in the tensions, may we pray that the tensions will hold us aloft. When we are in the uncomfortable places, may we pray that it will be a productive discomfort rather than one that shuts us down. When we are in the places of feeling that we must choose either oi, may we look for the not so apparent both and. And find perhaps just an inkling there of life reunited with life. Amen.